The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Political neutrality. Not with Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Not because we were excited about parade floats or the football game. Our team at the time wasn't very good. But Mirabalu Dictu, the food on homecoming weekend, seemed to get a lot better. I'm sure it was only a coincidence that the Alumni Association annual meeting was held during homecoming weekend. But come to think of it, the food got better on parents weekend too. Imagine that. And all of a sudden, San Francisco, America's shithole, where there's literally an app that you can use so that you can dodge Dookie on the sidewalk or spent works, needles and syringes or homeless encampments or whatever, there's an app to tell you where you might want to mind your step. But in comes Joe Biden's boss, Xi Jinping, and all of a sudden the streets are so clean you can eat off of them. And protest is always allowed. Leftist protesters get to do whatever they want. If they burn down an entire city block, it's a mostly peaceful protest. If they firebomb a U.S. district court, there are never any consequences. If they overturn police cars and set them on fire, if they attack police precincts, if they bomb out department stores, not a problem. We're going to give them space to express themselves, said the mayor of Baltimore. But Xi Jinping comes to town, and don't you dare block that Bay Bridge. I don't care. If you're pro-Hamas, Xi Jinping's in town, our communist overlord. We can't have any free speech. We can't have any protest. See, what the left does is they show you their hierarchy of priorities. And the flip side, their inverted priority of victimhood, right? Because everybody on the left has to be a victim. But black people? Get under the bus. We need illegal. It's coming from Central and South America to take your jobs. Women, get under the bus. We've got a transgender narrative we've got to push. So what if you've got Title IX? So what if you fought for 50 years to be taken seriously in your own sporting endeavors? Get under the bus where you belong. And even the pro-Hamas protesters, get under the bus. The big kahunas in town, Xi Jinping, the man who has paid for our entire retirement, says Gavin Newsom, gruesome Newsom, and stumble bum Joe Biden. They show you who they are. And when people show you who they are, believe them. There have been some wins and some positive developments and some negative developments this week as well. The Moorpark College professor 
who killed a pro-Israel demonstrator, Paul Kessler, has been arrested. And Donald Trump has had another case dismissed, trying to out keep him off the ballot. If, if Joe Biden's going to clean Trump's clock, if Trump doesn't have a chance of winning, why all the lawsuits to keep him off the ballot? Because they know that they can't win without cheating. They can't win any election without cheating, even in a state like Pennsylvania. J.D. Rucker on thelibertydaily.com today reported that 200,000 votes separated the Democrat winner and the Republican loser two weeks ago for a Supreme Court seat, a Pennsylvania Supreme Court seat. 200,000 vote difference, but 350,000 votes were taken away from the Republican candidate. And J.D.'s got the receipts. He's got the screenshots. Go to LibertyDaily.com and check out the article. It's the headline right now. And will there be any consequences? Of course not. Of course not. Democrats get to cheat with impunity. How dare you? How dare you interfere with an election by saying that you want to investigate the people who stole the election? How dare you? So plus a chance, plus a la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But we're going to keep fighting here on The Reckoning, and we want you to fight with us. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. The inaugural conference of Australians for Science and Freedom brings together thinkers and community leaders to share learnings, formulate plans, and help establish new and emerging networks and organizations to restore a thriving Australian society founded on science and freedom. Join the exciting lineup of health professionals, scientists, economists, lawyers, journalists, and community leaders to discuss a range of hot issues, including healthcare policy, democracy and human rights, education, the media, and the role of grassroots organizations. The Australians for Science and Freedom Conference will be held at the University of New South Wales, High Street, Kensington, New South Wales, from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, 18th November, and 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sunday the 19th. Plus, TNT Radio will be broadcasting from the conference. Tickets available now at scienceandfreedom.org. Factual news as you need it. They are a reliable source. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. On Thursday, the House Ethics Committee released a damning report on their investigation of freshman New York Representative George Santos. If there's any question as to the seriousness of the findings in the report, it should be noted that less than an hour after its release, Mr. Santos suddenly announced that he would not be seeking re-election. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. I'm sure the report had nothing to do with Santos's decision, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, in this report, uh, it found that there was, quote, substantial evidence, end quote, that Mr. Santos had violated federal law uh, in less than an hour after that news broke. Uh, boom, there he was. He said he announced uh, he would not be running for re-election. Uh, he took to Twix, uh, to Twix, <laughs> X, formerly Twitter, quote, I will remain steadfast in fighting for my rights and for defending my name in the face of adversity. I am humbled yet again and reminded that I am human and I have flaws, but I will not stand by as I am stoned. 
by those who have flaws themselves. I will continue on my mission to serve my constituents up until I am allowed. I will, however, not be seeking re-election for a second term in 2024, as my family deserves better than to be under the gun from the press all the time, end quote. I may have paused at certain times to make it sound like he was saying something else. Sorry. Uh, the bipartisan committee report found that there was evidence that Mr. Santos knowingly violated a number of criminal and ethical statutes. He has been accused of a number of crimes, including charges of multiple frauds and conspiracy to commit offenses against the United States, as well as making materially false statements to the Federal Election Commission. The report refrains from advocating for Mr. Santos' expulsion or implementing additional disciplinary measures. However, it stated that the committee would refer the evidence found to the Department of Justice. Yikes, doesn't look good for Mr. Santos. The evidence reportedly supports claims that he, quote, knowingly caused his campaign committee to file false or incomplete reports with the Federal Election Commission, used campaign funds for personal purposes, <clears throat> I, I, I'll side note there that apparently some of those personal purposes involved uh, paying for OnlyFans. <clears throat> Anyways, continuing on, quote, engaged in fraudulent conduct and engaged in knowing and willful violations of the Ethics in Government Act, end quote. According to the report, the committee compiled a, quote unquote, voluminous record with more than 170,000 pages of documents and testimonies from dozens of witnesses to offer insight into the case. Uh, I don't think anyone can say there's no there there. Uh, included in its report was the assertion that Mr. Santos, quote, continues to flout his statutory financial disclosure obligations and has failed to correct countless errors and omissions in his past FD statements, despite being repeatedly reminded by the ISC and the committee of his requirement to do so, end quote. The Ethics Committee also found it to, to be, quote, particularly troubling, end quote, that in its opinion, the congressman engaged in a, quote, lack of candor during the investigation itself, end quote, and attempted to blame others for much of the misconduct found by the committee. Mr. Santos has pleaded not guilty to a total of 23 federal charges related to multiple alleged frauds, including unauthorized use of campaign supporters' credit cards for tens of thousands of dollars worth of <clears throat> purchases, Timothy. Um, but yeah, there we have it. What do you think about this one? Well, this one's complicated, okay? Is, is George Santos a good guy? I, I tend to think maybe not, but we're going to presume him to be innocent of those 23 federal charges until a jury decides otherwise, and he exhausts his appeals. Remember, we don't stop at the trial court level here in the United States. We have to make certain that the trial was conducted by the numbers, according to the Constitution, that none of the defendant's rights were infringed. That's why we have not one, but two levels of appeals. So I'm gonna let the court system decide whether George Santos is a criminal or whether he is being falsely persecuted. I will also, however, point out the double standard yet again. There's a double standard. Don't be too shocked, but yeah, there's a double standard between Democrats and Republicans. So I'm really happy that he didn't resign 
to spend more time with his family, as they always say, or to pursue other opportunities. I'm glad he's going to serve out his term. The people of his district elected him. Apparently, they're not upset. There hasn't been a recall effort, and there hasn't been a call for a recall. So not running for re-election, I think, is the most graceful way that he could exit. But good on George Santos, regardless of what you might think of him otherwise, for not being a Republican that immediately folds like a cheap suit in the face of allegations. As to the Ethics Committee findings, well, look, there are reporting requirements, and you're supposed to comply with the reporting requirements. But is the Ethics Committee enforcing those uniformly? I seem to recall occasional Cortex, Sandy, running afoul of her reporting requirements. Was that ever resolved satisfactorily? Did she finally fill out all the necessary forms that she was supposed to fill out? If so, great. They are enforcing it unilaterally. But if not, why not? That's all fair, Timothy. Okay, that's that's a good take. Um, for for those who want a little bit more of the gossipy details, according to the report, uh, what he allegedly purchased uh, with the illegally obtained money, uh, luxury products from high-end retailer Hermes, spa treatments, and hotel stays. Uh, and as I said earlier, it also alleges that Santos used campaign money to pay for OnlyFans subscriptions as well as for Botox therapy treatments. So, yeah, there we go. And to your point about waiting for the courts, uh, it's going to get passed up to the DOJ. But again, he, you know, he said he's not going to, you know, bow out right now. He's not going to run for re-election. But there is, of course, already some talk of whether or not they're going to attempt to uh, again. I believe they tried this once before to expel him. So. Uh, there's also and that's that. a we, that's fair enough. We have a yeah, we have a procedure for ex expulsion for a reason. It's happened before. Maybe that's the appropriate remedy. But I, 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 I as I said, I'm, I'm happy to see that he didn't fold like a cheap suit just as soon as there's a whiff of an allegation, because that's typically the Republican playbook. You know, Republicans have to resign immediately and do the walk of shame to the lectern to tearfully resign in order to spend more time for their with their family and pursue other opportunities whereas democrats send out a fundraising letter they you know it seems to be i don't know whether this is true but it seems to be that being a felon is a requirement to run for office as a democrat these days adam and then you know there's that and then if you're not uh the democrats will attempt to portray you as a felon for you know because you forgot to put a little dot on top of the I or forgot to cross that one T on that one form, right? Right. Yeah. Any uh, a clerical error makes the Republican a felon, but an actual felony makes the Democrat electable. Thanks for another great story. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Bruce DeTorres. What happened on October 7th? Was it a surprise, a failure of intelligence, a failure of response, or even something more insidious? To me, it's very believable that there was an intelligence and a military failure. And the reason that that's very believable to me is precisely because of Netanyahu's policies, starting with the policy of utilizing Hamas essentially as a strategic ally to ensure that there is no peace process, to ensure that, you know, that this policy of 
keeping the Palestinian leadership divided, which dates back to 2006 when Hamas won parliamentary elections. And so you had a Hamas-led government in the occupied territories and the Israeli government's inclusion with the U.S. government. Their response to that was to collude with Fatah, which is the, the party of Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, to try to overthrow the Hamas-led government. And that failed. And so what this is described in the media as a Hamas coup, a violent coup in Gaza, and that's that's ahistorical. What actually happened was Hamas launched a counter coup and prevented Fatah from over, violently overthrowing the Hamas-led government. Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Hear about it. I don't even know where to start with AOC. Talk about it. The stupidity of this administration. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is professor of medicine, economic economics and health research policy at Stanford University. He's the director of Stanford Center for Demography and Economics of Health and Aging and a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Dr. Bhattacharya studies the health and well-being of vulnerable populations, emphasizing the role of government programs, biomedical innovation, and health policy. His recent research focuses on the epidemiology of COVID-19, including the lethality of the SARS-CoV-2 infection and of the effects of mask mandates and lockdown policies. He's an author of the Great Barrington Declaration, which advocated lifting COVID-19 restrictions on lower risk groups to develop herd immunity through widespread infection. I'd like to welcome to the reckoning for the first time, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate being on. Appreciate you coming on. It's been a crazy two years, huh? It was August of 2021. The evidence was already trending to the point where it was forming a clear picture that masks don't work, that lockdowns don't work, and that herd immunity might be the way to go. But what happened after the Great Barrington Declaration came out? So uh, when we wrote it, it was uh, just before the vaccines, actually, October 2020. And what happened was that uh, the the what 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 the Great Barrington Declaration actually was was a call for public health to better think about how to protect vulnerable older people. That was the main thing we were asking for: focus protection of vulnerable older people. And instead, it was met with this absolutely, I mean, just crazed response. Uh, the head of the National Institute of Health called me, Sunetra Gupta of Oxford University, and, and Martin Kuldor, fringe epidemiologist, and then called for a devastating takedown. I, I had death threats against me. It was, it was absolutely insane. I mean, basically, what we we're saying is, look, the lockdowns are hurting children. It was hurting the poor, hurting working class people. Not working wasn't actually protecting older people. Instead of relying on lockdowns, let's think of better ways to protect older people. And instead of that, we were met with uh, demonization and smearing. And here in New York. Governor Cuomo murdered 15,000 people by putting sick people into nursing homes with healthy people among the population that turned out to be most at risk for having a severe reaction to SARS-CoV-2, the elderly. And this is only the second time that I can recall 
that a disease has been politicized, that the political response was more important than the medical or epidemiological response. The first, of course, being the AIDS virus. It is against the law for a doctor not to report a case of syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, or other uh, sexually transmitted disease, but it was against the law for a doctor to report a patient's HIV status. The same thing happened with COVID-19. Everything that came out was not only not following the science, it was anti-science, calling ivermectin horse pace. Well, now they're admitting it might even be helpful in reducing or eliminating cancers, as well as a variety of other uh, benefits, quote unquote, off-label. Every single thing mainstream medicine, big pharma, and the government told us during COVID turned out to be either wrong or a lie. It is remarkable how much public health got wrong. And part of the problem, and public health establishment and governments got wrong, part of the problem was that they closed themselves off from criticism. Essentially, anyone legitimate criticizing them with any legitimate criticisms were met with smearing and destruction, uh, you know, demonization rather than open open engagement. Um, and, you know, in science, it's normal for people to get things wrong. That's just how science works. Like it's not, it works by people correcting each other by data. That's the I mean, point that's, of peer that's, review. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, uh, let's just take the Andrew Cuomo uh, sending COVID infected patients to nursing homes thing. Like, why would he do that? Like, the reason is the scientists were telling him it was more important to protect hospitals than it was to protect the lives of older people. That's essentially what they were telling him. If they right, if, yeah. if they had focused protection of vulnerable older people in their in their head, they would never have done that. Like, why would anyone do such a thing? Um, and the HIV example is also really interesting. I mean, in a sense, uh, the public health establishment has learned all the wrong lessons from HIV. Right with HIV, you can recommend condoms. That's actually kind of an effective way to reduce the spread of HIV. But HIV is spread by sex. You have this disease is spread by breathing, and all of a sudden we're going to wear these inappropriate physical barriers that don't actually do any do very much uh, unless you are trained to wear it, and then you have to you have to have mass breaks and all that. No, I mean they told the entire population, including two year olds, to wear it, um, right. and they expected it to work like condoms work for HIV. Contact tracing, you know, who you had sex with, so you can sort of do contact tracing for HIV. You can't do that for COVID. You you just you, you don't really know who you breathe breathe next to. You don't even have to be next to somebody. You just have to be in the same room as someone who has breathed in that room maybe hours ago and that could spread COVID. Uh, the a whole structure of how we just manage COVID was like fighting the last war, Tim, except for the lockdowns. The lockdowns were a new innovation and just a disastrous one. Never before in history have you, have you locked down and quarantined the entire healthy population at scale the way we did with COVID. Indeed. And it wasn't just doctors being censored, although a friend of our show, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. William Makis, and other prominent doctors have not only been censored, but had their licenses to practice uh, threatened or indeed taken. Uh, membership in professional societies withdrawn. They suffered severe consequences uh, professionally for speaking the truth. But we lay people, I mean, I did my graduate and undergraduate work in biology. I'm not a practicing scientist, but I, I knew enough. The big red flag for me, the canary in the coal mine for me, Dr. Bhattacharya, was when they started breathlessly touting the R-naught values every single night on TV in March of 2020. 
Now, I might not be a practicing scientist, but I know that when you've got a ratio with a numerator and a denominator, how many people got sick versus how many people were exposed, and there's literally no way possible to determine what the denominator is, any value that you're going to come up with is completely made up. And yet here we had the mainstream media all in lockstep, breathlessly touting these are not values, basically pushing fear porn and getting people so afraid that they would comply with whatever the government told them to do. We even have the smoking gun email out of England saying, you know, guys, we we kind of overstepped the mark. We we amped up the fear a little too much. We got to back it back it down. Otherwise, people will be paralyzed and not do anything. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd like so on the on the first point about people like Peter McCullough, the way that Baylor and uh, treated him the way that many medical institutions treated, uh, you know, good doctors who were just trying to do their best, given that there was a a, a new virus floating around. They're applying their clinical uh, experience. They're applying their physiological reasoning. That's how. That's what sh that should have been permitted. It should have been encouraged. That's how we learn, right? That's and the fact exactly. that he was treated so poorly, they've made an example of him in part to to discourage other doctors for for having the same kind of passion that he had for trying to manage people early like i i saw a a, a, a talk he gave where he just broke down saying look I, I the reason i'm doing this is because i want to care for the patients who have nothing that, that we're just offering them to tell them to stay home and die that was that you know he was being a good doctor and for that he was punished um on 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 the the um uh, Let me just uh, yeah. point out that there was a double standard there, too, because it wasn't just what Baylor did to Peter McCullough. It's what it didn't do to Peter Hotez. It actually elevated Peter Hotez, who became a media darling, despite the fact that everything that Dr. Hotez said was incorrect. Well, I think I think this is related to your second point. Right. So fear mongering became it's a virtue for the first time that I in my uh, life as a public health in my career as a public health uh in public health what i thought before was that the ethical thing to do in public health was to calm people down so that they can think rationally give them good advice when you have a, a epidemic happening instead during this pandemic it became a virtue to to to, to cause fear and panic so like to to, to say that the infection fatality rate is you know three or four percent or the mortality rate is three or four percent when in fact in fact the infection fatality rate is orders an order of magnitude less than that well if you if you point out the scientific fact that's an order of magnitude less than that you're going to get canceled if on the other hand like peter hotez you fearmonger try to, ca to cause people to panic well, that's that's seen as that was seen as a virtue. It was an entirely an inversion of the ethical practice of public health. Uh, and it a was. Lot of and I want to get into the carrot and stick that was used after the news. You're listening to the Reckoning on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. Hi, everybody. So many crazy news stories going on right now. Now the news. Go. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. U.S. President Joe Biden met with Chinese President Xi Jinping in the San Francisco Bay Area on Wednesday. Afterwards, he told reporters that Washington and Beijing will restore communication channels between their respective militaries. The U.K. has become the first country to regulate the authorization of a CRISPR-based gene-editing therapy in the world. Hundreds of pro-Palestinian demonstrators attempted to enter the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee on Capitol Hill on Wednesday night, where they got into a physical confrontation with police. 
Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Jay, fear-mongering was seen as a virtue. Virtue signaling was rampant. And the thing that bothered me the most was when they justified all of these draconian, totalitarian actions that they were taking by saying that they were moving at the speed of science. Well, the speed of science is exceedingly slow. We put out a paper. That paper is peer-reviewed. Other people try to duplicate the experiment. They either can or they can't. There are conferences where there's debates. Science proceeds at a glacial pace sometimes. So to say that, well, you know, we're moving so fast, we don't have time to look at any uh, control groups. We don't have time to look at any actual epidemiological evidence because we're moving at the speed of science. It, it was a complete bastardization of what science is all about. I, I agree with you. I mean, science, in, in my experience with science, if you're doing anything that's at all interesting, what we, that is, we, we don't know the answer, you're going to have, you know, if you have 10 scientists in a room, you'll have 10 opinions. And sometimes 11. Um, and then, and, and then it results, and then you have the constructive conversation that results in like hypotheses resulting in testable ideas that result with data collection and then a winnowing of ideas so that the, when you have a consensus, there's a process that's led to it. Instead, what you had was just this bullying. Um, you know, I think like you can you can justify. I think given that this was a pandemic that hurt a lot of older people, you can justify trying to very rapidly trying to develop treatments, very rapidly trying to develop vaccines. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong, but you have to then tell the public these these ideas, these these products were developed very rapidly. We don't know everything about them. Here are the the harms and, and and risks and benefits that we know about. Here's what we don't, yeah, what we we suspect, but we don't know for certain. Um, and we'll update you as soon as we find out new things, and then make your decisions. Right? I think that would have been an ethical thing to do, especially in the midst of people being so scared. Uh, and sure, that, informed uh, consent. And then that would have been that would have been the right thing to do. Instead, uh, what we had was government scientists essentially saying that they were so wise that they knew all of science certain with certainty on something that was just of a virus that had just come up out of the you know in in, in in you know just last just in 2020 uh somehow all of a sudden magically tony fauci can get up and say in front of the american public if you question me you're not simply questioning a man you're questioning science itself i mean that should have been a, a big clue like there was something really weird going on I don't know that I've ever heard as hubristic a statement made by a doctor or a scientist in public ever. Like the high pope of science, Tim. I mean, you you just can't do that. Like it, it's it, it basically itself. It basically says, I'm you don't take me seriously. Right. Anyone thinks that way is going to have blinders, is going to have mistakes in their thinking and is going to, not going to be amenable to correction of those mistakes. Um, and that's exactly what we saw. And I think he was on a, an amazing ego trip. It came out in his congressional testimony where Rand Paul, a physician himself, had the goods on him. They, we, we had the receipts with Ralph Barrick and EcoHealth Alliance and a gain of function, funding gain of function, doing an end around using EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And Fauci sat there and said, that's not gain of function. You don't understand what gain of function is. And 
it was it was bizarre because here's a man they've got dead to rights and not only is he denying it but he's doing it with such arrogance and dismissiveness that i think a lot of non-scientists of my acquaintance called me up and said is this guy for real <laughs> i mean i think if I think about like put yourself in your his position he did fund this pandemic preparedness industry and they did take dangerous viruses out of bat caves of China and elsewhere and bring them into big city centers to do dangerous experiments on them. He absolutely was, was a big supporter of that. That's just undeniable. Like it's there are receipts all over the place. Uh, and so now the vi new virus that emerges looks very much like a virus that you may have funded work on. Um, and it's causing all this death. I mean, if, in, in a sense, like he's trying to defend himself as going down in history as one of history's greatest monsters. Like he funded the work that let, it's like Frankenstein. You you, right. you work on this scientific project and all of a sudden it goes and, you know, uh, goes amok. Uh, I mean, that's fine. Like, and you can understand why someone in his position would do what he's doing, but there's no reason for everyone else to, to like sit there and give him awards and take him seriously. Exactly. And it, I mean, it was to the point where even comedians, professional comedians that have no background in science whatsoever. They probably had some guy like me do all their lab reports for them. Somebody like Jon Stewart, who made the best analogy I've heard so far. If there's an outbreak of chocolatey goodness in the vicinity of Hershey, Pennsylvania, are you going to say that a bat flew up the rear end of a pangolin and then got made into soup? No, you're going to look at the chocolate factory. It, it was literally as simple as that. Yeah. And, you know, there's, and there's a lot of like uh, molecular biological evidence. And also um, there's evidence from, from like, from uh, proposals that written to the, to DARPA that look very much like the kind of research that would lead to this virus. But you know, leave right. all of that aside. The main thing is there, it's so clearly a cover up by Tony Fauci, by Francis Collins, by Jeremy Farrar, by a number of these people who were were involved in funding this. They, you can read the FOIA emails. They are acting like they're guilty. I, I mean, right. you, you don't even need to know any science like to know that that's that's what they're doing. Now, maybe they're acting like they're guilty and they're not. That's I guess that's possible. But why are they covering up? Why not just come clean if they're not guilty? I mean, I just I just don't understand. Uh, how um, they, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I can understand why they're doing what they're doing, why they don't want to, their name be smirched in history. Um, but uh, there's no reason why uh, public authorities should continue to support this uh, when we know that they acted in ways that are deeply unethical. They did indeed. And I want to get into that after the break. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. Get ready. A kill switch could be coming to a vehicle near you and shut you down on the highway. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The United States Congress just passed a vehicle kill switch that will be required on all vehicles produced in 2026 and forward. This will allow the government to automatically disable your vehicle if, quote, impairment is detected. Here is Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey explaining why he introduced a bill to block it, which failed. It's so incredible that I have to offer this amendment. It almost sounds like the domain of science fiction, that the federal government would put a kill switch in vehicles that would be the judge, the jury, and the executioner on such a fundamental right. 
as the right to travel freely. Imagine a future scenario where your vehicle shuts you down for not having the correct political views or for promoting public health misinformation. This is total control. This is the Great Reset in action. Reject the Great Reset. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Jay, it's one thing to have the government not understand a new virus or what we at the time thought was a new virus and to not understand how best to approach it from an epidemiological standpoint. It's quite another, however, to roll out a vaccine that's based on a platform that Tony Fauci could not get approved for over 20 years, the course of which approval process, he was found to have lied to the United States Army twice. You know, J. Edgar Hoover stayed in office by blackmailing every president under whom he served. That's why he was director for life at FBI. It leads one to wonder what dirt that Anthony Fauci might have had on whom in order to stay not only in his position, but to end up being the highest paid civilian employee of the government, higher even than the president of the United States. All of a sudden, this failed technological platform, this mRNA vaccine platform, is seen as not just a way to fight the pandemic, but the only way And we went so quickly from the carrot to the stick, from get a hamburger and fries if you get the jab, get a Krispy Kreme donut if you get the jab, get a lottery ticket to win millions of dollars, potentially, if you get the jab, to get the jab or you're fired, get the jab or you're out of the military, get the jab or you're kicked out of school. You're the epidemiologist. First of all, Can you vaccinate your way out of a pandemic? Is that the smart thing to do? Or all you're doing is providing uh, additional natural selection pressure for the virus to mutate? And even if you can vaccinate your way out of the pandemic, was this the platform that we should have been using? Yeah, so to that first question, um, I guess it depends on the vaccine, right? If you have a vaccine that actually prevents you altogether from getting the disease and spreading it, uh, it's going to have minimal impact on the evolutionary process of the the, the you know the, so so but you need to know that for a fact right so like you can't just right. like assume that like so for, for instance if there was a measles outbreak we could vaccinate our way out of it because the vaccine is sterilizing in the sense of it makes it so that you will never get measles after you get the vaccine excellent um, point but for this vaccine we didn't know from the randomized trials that it prevented you from getting or spreading COVID. And it became very, very clear early on that that was not true, that that you could get COVID very quickly after you got the vaccine, that it, the, the protection against infection waned very rapidly. I, I, I actually was vaccinated him in April of 2021. And then four months later, I got COVID. 
I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's, this is, and I think this is typical for many, many people who got the vaccine is like that, you know, that you, it didn't stop you from getting it. So if that's true, why would you go around and if you're public health officials saying that the vaccinated are clean and the unvaccinated are unclean, the unvaccinated need to be excluded from society. Both vaccinated and unvaccinated can spread the disease. Uh, they, and then, then to turn around and ignore the fact that if you are, if you have recovered from COVID, you have excellent immunity with study after study showing that. Uh, right. And then for just ignoring that when you're mandating things that people don't want, I think that was a big mistake. And on the and question not just of excluded other- from society, but denied medical care. They were saying, you know, if you oh you're vaccinated, you have a heart attack. Come on in, we'll treat you. Oh, you're unvaccinated, go home and die, Sparky. You know, said uh, <laughs> Stephen I'm- Stephen Colbert, and I, I, it was shocking. I, it, it absolutely shocked me. I mean, I, and I still I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that a, a society that had prided itself in uh, rooting out discrimination against uh, uh, ethnic uh, against minorities against against black people for generations. That's that's what I grew up around was like we have a goal toward re- re- eliminating that kind of discrimination. Wholeheartedly embraced it. It was like a caste system delivered to the United States out of the blue, where the unvaccinated were the low caste. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, it's still, I mean, I, I'm going to, to my dying day, I'll be shocked by that. Uh, on, on the second question you had about whether there's an alternate technology, there absolutely was. There were, there were many, many other vaccine technologies available. There was a really interesting study that done by this Dutch epidemiologist who found that the, uh, that the adenovirus vaccine platforms, the J&J vaccine and the, and the AstraZeneca vaccine in the randomized trials actually reduced all-cause mortality. Whereas the mRNA vaccines didn't do that in the randomized trials. Why did we go with this mRNA technology when the randomized trials showed better results for the 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 uh, the, the adenovirus vaccines? And of course, then there were the protein subunit vaccines. There were a number of other vaccine technologies we could have used. The fact that we settled on this brand this brand new technology, it was going to get, it was guaranteed to cause people a lot of concern. Like, why wouldn't it? We don't haven't used this technology before. Well, I think a significant factor is the fact that NAID, Tony Fauci's agency, owns part of the Moderna patent, owns the patent on the platform. It's not even that they saw the randomized data from the or the data coming out of the randomized trials that tipped them off. They knew in the experimental design that this had potential toxicity in the protocol that was leaked in October of 2021, it said that if a pregnant woman comes into contact with anyone who has come into contact with anyone who's been vaccinated, they have to notify Pfizer safety within 24 hours. So the situation is if a wife is at home pregnant and her husband goes to work and her husband plays basketball at the Y with somebody that's vaccinated and has physical contact with him, then Pfizer safety is supposed to be notified. That was a potential danger that they knew in the experimental design. And yet, six months later, they're advocating not only for pregnant women to get the jab, but for newborns when they know that there was toxicity issues. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I'm, I'm, I have to say, Tim, I'm not convinced by the evidence that, that, that there's vaccine shedding, the idea that if you're vaccinated, you're like spreading the vaccine to other people. I'm not convinced by that evidence. 
uh, but I will say this, that in the context of pregnant women, you have to be ultra careful. We're, we're ultra careful with other drugs. You, mm-hmm. you know, like if you if you look on the back of, of almost any drug label, you'll see this te- that this product has not been tested on pregnant women. So be be very cautious in using it. There's a very limited set of drugs we allow to be used among pregnant women. It shocked me to see this wholehearted uh, recommendation for pregnant women to take this vaccine when there really hadn't been any good studies randomized uh, to the, the randomized studies to to warrant that was to to warrant that recommendation. We didn't know about the safety concerns. We didn't know anything about this, and yet we're recommending at scale. It was really it just on on a gross abuse of power by the FDA. It was actually it was really a negligent use of power by the FDA. Normally, they are very cautious about these things. Indeed, I think negligence is exactly the correct word to use. It's the only drug that I can ever think of that came with a product safety data sheet that was still the same size as all the other product safety data sheets, right? It was tiny and folded up in the box and you unfold it and you keep unfolding for another three weeks and you end up with like a two foot by three foot piece of paper. Except this time, instead of tiny little six point type, you had intentionally left blank. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, there's recent evidence that's come out that uh, that that the manufacturing process for the vaccine, as it was used in giving it to the entire population, was different than the manufacturing process used during the trials. And in fact, there's DNA plasmid contamination of the vaccines in the new right. the, the second manufacturing process. Now, I don't know that causes a, a lot of harm, but I will tell you this: that should have been disclosed to the public. That should have been disclosed it, to the public at large, uh, and the it fact that it's only coming been. out two years later that makes no sense to me. I mean, it's it's a it's a violation of informed consent. People deserve to know that and then make their own decisions. Exactly, and there was no informed consent. And on the flip side, we had legislation right to try, and yet ivermectin was denied to people. I had a husband and daughter on the show two weeks ago. The wife was literally denied ivermectin even though there was a court order for the doctors to give her ivermectin rather than do that they said all of a sudden oh she doesn't have COVID anymore and they sent her home without the ivermectin and the the poor woman died Uh, we had drugs that have proven to be incredibly efficacious that were low cost that are off patent and that could have saved tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of lives and yet even though we've got right to try legislation, they were prohibited. CVS, Walgreens, other large pharmacists, pharmacies would not fill prescriptions. And if a doctor wrote a prescription, he ran into trouble with his um, licensing board. I mean, there's kind of like an underground railroad for ivermectin, if I understood correctly. You could find yeah. you know, like ivermectin speakeasies or something to go get a go get an illicit prescription or something. I, 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 the whole thing is just... It's such a, uh, a subversion of what my experience as a as a in public health has been over the last two decades. Like, essentially, what should have happened was a very rapid evaluation of all of, all of these promising, uh, cheap alternatives in 2020 with excellent randomized trials funded by the NIH and the NIAID. Instead, it took years and years and years for them to finally run trials on these drugs. In the meantime, there were all these like mom and pop trials that found some some effect. 
Um, and so what, what, and so, and at the end of it, like you in 2020, we had an immune naive population. The effect of ivermectin is very different potentially in an immune naive population than it is in a immune, um, in a, than, than, than in a population that's already had COVID and recovered. The marginal yeah. benefits likely to be less, uh, in that, in that population. So the effectiveness of ivermectin in 2020 might be very different than in 2023. It was much more important to know whether it worked in 2020 than in 2023. To me, a major scandal is why didn't the NIH invest all in, just like they did with the vaccines, in evaluating all of these promising treatment ideas that people had? I mean, some of them wouldn't have worked out and some of them would, but we would have known the answer. Um, I mean, you had other countries, for instance, the UK, they did this major trial of dexamethasone, a cheap steroid. Right. Yes. That saved a lot of lives, actually. And they had that by July 2020. Dr. Richard Bartlett in West Texas using inhaled budesonide. Again, though, another cheap off-patent drug. Metformin actually now find turns out it works. I mean, so yeah. so there, there there's so like we could have known all of these things in 2020. Yet it took three years for them for us to do any evaluations by that. But and you know, of course, now since most of the population has had COVID and recovered and it's Omicron that's spreading around, it's not nearly as deadly, it's not nearly the same threat. Um, would have been nice to know it in 2020, right? Like I just, right. like, to me, that is the major failure. Our scientific agencies with billions of dollars did not do the work they were supposed to do. And instead they went all in on, on, on smearing, on censorship of destruction of the reputations of people that questioned them. So here's the $64 million question, if you will. Was the COVID experience a one-off? Was it an anomaly or was it a harbinger of the way that public health is going to be practiced for the near uh, foreseeable future? And I think we, we have now established that template of what to do when there's a pandemic. The template now is we lock down until there's a vaccine, which is rapidly rushed through, and then we slowly open up. Fear-mongering is normal and good because it encourages compliance. Uh, the, the Biden administration has a plan now for the next pandemic. The plan is 130 days to a vaccine. 130 days, that means you don't get to test it in a randomized trial at scale for very long. Um, and then what do you do during those 130 days? Well, we lock down. The, what, we're gonna, what we have is a, 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 a essentially like a template that we, we're going to follow unless it's explicitly rejected by public health authorities and po political authorities it will be followed again the, there are these like uh like in the uk there's this COVID inquiry that's currently ongoing and it's a whitewash tim it is absolutely a whitewash it's trying to pretend like what they did was right and okay and good and the only problem was that they didn't lock down early enough they didn't follow china quickly enough um and so and and I think if if that is the takeaway of 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 official of official dumb from what happened during the pandemic, it will happen again and again and again until the, the people finally say no. I was afraid of that answer. And what is it going to take to get the scientists and the, and the medical professionals themselves to say no the next time? What what kind of sea change would we have to see in order to have rank and file doctors say no? We're not doing this again. I think the key thing is that right now we have in science and in medicine, uh, we basically, and, and in ph and pharmaceutical development, we have essentially like concentrated power, hierarchies of power that can control vast numbers of people beneath them. 
by uh, intimidation, by financial uh, threats, by uh, by by a whole number of means. We saw us by censorship, uh, by defamation. They they can control and and so like just take the NIH right concentrated power in the hands of one person or a very small number of people was used to silence countless scientists who disagreed with the lockdown strategies. They they essentially in effect when they went after me and Martin Kuldorf and Sunetra Gupta they were they were essentially sending a signal to other scientists be quiet or else you're going to also face this devastating takedown. Right. Uh, the, the the reform will need a fundamental change in how we fund science, fundamental change in how we regulate drugs and pharma and vaccines, and fundamental change to the, the nature of the power that public health has. It needs vastly, vastly more oversight than it currently had during the pandemic. I agree. And that's where, you know, Republicans don't have all the answers. Democrats don't have all the answers. But one person who has had the answer for a while now is Bobby Kennedy Jr. He's been warning people about regulatory capture, about big pharma, because it provides such a large percentage of NIH's budget, is actually the one calling the tune. I think we need to come together, apart from any political divisions, most of which, quite frankly, are manufactured because it's a divide and conquer strategy. I I think we need to partner with people, quite frankly, who present themselves the way Peter McCullough presents themselves, the way you presented yourself here tonight, sober, thoughtful, reflective, calm, measured. We, We need people that are going to actually articulate what science is, what medicine is, what epidemiology is and public health and how we should go forward so that we don't fall into any of the traps into which we fell between 2020 and 2023 now. I mean, I keep hoping for some sort of bipartisan consensus. Like you do after a plane crash, you you do an evaluation right. uh, to see what went wrong and then you reform. But we just haven't seen that. The people that designed the pandemic response are essentially giving themselves awards now, Tim. They're like pretending like they were the good right. guys um, when they were an utter failure, even by their own standards. It's, you know, millions of people died around the world from COVID, right? What we, whatever it is that we did didn't work. And you have Sweden, which has low, the lowest all-cause excess deaths in all of all of Europe. Florida, which has lower all-cause excess deaths than California, that didn't lock down, that didn't follow the template, and yet has better results. Um, I mean, that's a huge indictment that it's going to be hard to ignore. But my goodness, the folks that designed the response have been the level best to ignore it. I think you're right. At the end of the day, it's up to us. It's up to us to say no. It's up to us to say no. I'm not going to take your product that was developed in 130 days that you haven't tested. I'm not going to stay in my apartment or my home. I'm going to go out. I'm going to drive the roads. I'm going to walk the sidewalks and defy don't comply. Perhaps that's our only way forward. That might be it, Tim. Um, I mean, I'm not a politician. I'm not used to talking politically. Uh, <laughs> I understand. I'm just, I'm just a fringe epidemiologist, Tim, but I, 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 I completely agree with the sentiment. We need reform, fundamental reform. Well, I would disagree with the characterization of just you're a preeminent epidemiologist. I thank you so much for your time tonight, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. You can find him on X, Dr. J, letter J Bhattacharya. Yeah. That's it for tonight's Reckoning. Stay tuned on TNT Radio for the Havorier Moritz Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight.